By a show of hands, I am curious if anyone in here has ever ran a marathon. Anybody? Jack Knutson, awesome. Jim Leverance, anyone back here ran a marathon before? 10K, I hear. Okay, here's the next question. Anybody ran a half marathon before? Oh, lots more hands. Curtis, you've ran a half marathon. Oh, I wish I could have seen that. Oh, well, it's good. You can always tell when Curtis isn't preaching because he has a great couple lines, like that we're a listener-supported radio station. That's my favorite this morning. But also, if you've never ran a marathon, I'm curious if anyone's ever ran an ultra-marathon. An ultra is a 50K or a 100K. My cross-country coach in high school was an ultra-marathoner. So we would run 8, 10 miles on a Monday, and he's like, I've got 20 more miles to run, girls. And we're like, good luck, coach. (laughs) Have fun on your own. Um, But this last week, I ran across an article of a man who ran his first half-marathon at the age of 72, The article shares about how he was 69 years old and was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And two years later, he had a 13-hour surgery to remove cancer in two locations on his body. And so he had not done any physical exercise since his 20s, but this kind of kicked him into um, deciding to start his running journey. And so he began to train And so he did the couch to 5K challenge first, and he realized he kind of enjoyed it. He enjoyed the exercise. He felt good. So he was encouraged to train for his local half marathon. But five weeks before the race, he got sidelined by a calf injury, so he had to take three weeks off. And this is what he quotes saying, I arrived at the starting line at the tender age of 72. He finished within nine minutes of his targeted pace and committed to complete a 30-mile and 50-mile ultramarathon before his 75th birthday. Now, I grew up as an athlete, and so I just have an adoration for stories like this. Because an activity like running can be a great equalizer. And I just adore the quote that he arrived at the starting line at the tender age of 72. And as I look here, and as I've just been kind of coming back from maternity leave and figuring life out again, I look at us, and I think we're just really all at a tender age. And I'm not referring to a physical age, but just a time in your life where God is at work right now. No matter if you're an ultramarathoner, or you're simply just trying to run down the street to catch your kid, um, We all just have to put one foot in front of the other. It doesn't matter if you're just staring at the starting line, wondering if you have what it takes to make it to the finish line, or you've been running for 25 miles. God's invitation to us this morning is to consider how discipleship, as taught by Jesus, is a long obedience in the same direction. It's like putting one foot in front of the other, day after day. So let's begin by opening God's word for us in Mark chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake, and a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan. 
and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. We'll pause there for just a moment. And in case you weren't able to join in last week, Pastor Curtis was teaching us about how Mark describes Jesus' interactions with the Pharisees. Jesus has called to question those who have put religious regulations and earned righteousness ahead of devotion to God. And Mark makes clear that Jesus has gone to war with those who are pushing their own religious expectations on others. And where we pick up in today's scripture is that Jesus is withdrawing from them and he is heading to the sea. Again, the author, Mark, of this gospel is not writing a moment-by-moment story of Jesus. He has a point to make, and so the stories Mark includes are all very intentional. Mark jumps quickly from one situation to the next, highlighting and emphasizing what he feels is most important for us, the readers, to glean. Mark hastily illustrates clearly who is drawn to Jesus, how Jesus will interact with them, and then how Jesus will make clear who he is. So here at the start of our passage today, we see over and over again through the life and ministry of Jesus, a rhythm of withdrawal and of initiation. And yet, even as Jesus wants to withdraw, people are magnetically drawn to him. He is the celebrity in town. People cannot help but be drawn to him about this amazing healer they've heard about. His name is Jesus. And people cannot help but go to him. While the Pharisees seem to us as those who are hiding around every nook and cranny waiting to catch Jesus doing something wrong, the crowds are quite the opposite. The people loved Jesus, at least at this point. They clung to his words, pressed in close to him to be healed, even to the point of him having to tell his disciples to make sure he can get away if he's going to be crushed. Particularly, Mark mentions people come from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the areas around Tyre and Sidon. And all of this is important to Mark, and one may wonder why. The reason is is that these areas stretch outside of the boundaries that are commonly associated with the nation of Israel. Mark, through the gospel, continues to give clue after clue Jesus, this Messiah, and the one that our modern ears are going to perhaps miss because we don't understand the regions. But what the people who were in these regions were understanding is that Jesus was stretching far beyond their wildest imaginations. They were the ones outside of the region that were coming and seeing Those who were waiting expectantly on him, though, these Pharisees, they were the ones that kind of missed his inbreaking kingdom. But when Mark mentions these different territories, he is teaching us that this long-awaited Messiah is far more inclusive and inviting than we had ever imagined. It will not be long before Mark reveals to us that Jesus will redefine who is an insider and who is an outsider. 
So let's continue reading in verses 10 through 12. It says this. For he had healed many so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. And you may wonder why. Why does Jesus not want these these evil spirits to call out the truth of who Jesus is? And it's not that their confession is wrong. But what Mark teaches us is that we need to know Jesus truly before we can try to make him known. I'll say that again. When Jesus silences the unclean spirit, we learn that we need to know Jesus truly before we ever try to make him known. That means it's not just enough to see Jesus for who he is, but we have to believe it for ourselves. These evil spirits were some of the first in the Gospel of Mark to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God. But if you were to look back at Mark 1.1, Mark begins the Gospel by saying that this is the beginning of the Gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And at the end of Mark, the last person that Mark accounts for seeing Jesus is the centurion soldier who sees Jesus breathe his last breath in Mark 15. And he says, truly, this is the Son of God. The Gospel of Mark is littered with evidence of Jesus being who he claimed to be. And the most unlikely are often the ones who see it most clearly. But again, as we look at the text today, Jesus is concerned with people knowing him accurately before they are called to anything else. And for all of us, I pray that we would hear the truth of God's word and be encouraged to know Jesus for who he proclaimed to be. Unfortunately, many people in our culture today have distorted and watered down the truth of who he is. He is far more than a friend, a prophet, or a great teacher. He is the long-awaited Messiah who hates sin and death enough to give his life as a ransom for you and for me. He came to be with us and to set us free from sin. The only hope we have to know Jesus truly is to spend time with him, in his word and with his people. Because the truth is, there is a very real enemy at work seeking to manipulate, disturb, and misinform each of us about the truth. Many of you know that the Pharisees get a pretty bad rap in the Gospels. But unfortunately, we're kind of like them. We all want a Jesus who agrees with the things we agree with. We all want a Jesus who agrees with our lifestyle, our values, and our perspective. And what we see in the Pharisees is them raising their eyebrows at the fact that Jesus sometimes disagreed with the things that they had agreed on, and Jesus agreed with some of the things they disagreed with. But again, what we hear in God's word written here in Mark 3 is that Jesus is actually concerned about that. But let's not forget that as Jesus silences the evil spirit, he also heals many who were suffering and were hurting. Maybe today you find yourself like the Pharisees who struggle to fit Jesus into the box that your expectations fit for. 
Or maybe you're like the crowd, pushing close to the healer so you can be well. Wherever you find yourself, may you hold on to the truth that Jesus not only wants you to know him rightly, but he also wants to make you well. Let's hang on to those truths as we finish up the passage for this morning, starting in verse 13. Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, that they may be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. To them he gave the name Bonenergies. Even preachers don't know everything in the Bible, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, sorry, it's in green because I need to make sure to pronounce it right. Uh, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. As Mark transitions into appointing his 12 disciples, he reminds us again of how his location has changed. He moves from the sea onto the mountainside and he calls those he wanted. And on top of that mountain, we are told that Jesus appoints 12. That word appoint in the Greek is poieo, which means to make, to be the author of, to prepare or to produce, to make a thing out of something. Jesus appoints, he makes, he authors. He's the thing that will make something out of these 12. And this language would seem rather intentional. Jesus doesn't make it about the disciples becoming something of themselves, but rather he says, I'll be with you. I will teach you, I will equip you. Jesus calls his disciples first and foremost to be with him. And then he tells them that they will preach and they will have authority over the many ways that the enemy in the world will try to dissuade them of the truth. I love this quote by C.F. Henry who says, God is the greatest gambler in all of human history. He bets the future of redemption on a carpenter and a small band of fishermen. Throughout the breadth of scripture, we see time and time again, God gambling on messy and disobedient people. That's why we read Hebrews 11 in just a small bit today, and I encourage you to read it for yourself. We have this amazing, this great cloud of witnesses that show us that when life gets hard, we can keep the faith. And we have stories to look to, to be inspired, to stay obedient, and to keep going in the same direction. Just like Jesus called his disciples to be with him, as a first order of business, so he calls us to do the same. The true mark of a disciple is to first and foremost be with Jesus. As we are with him, we will know him more accurately, and therefore we will naturally, and if so called upon, will preach or proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. But again, Jesus does not require us to do any of it on our own. Instead, what the disciples and what we are invited to do is to be with him. And as we are with him, we will be transformed and remade into his image. You see, through Jesus' death and resurrection, we have been given a new identity. 
where we are made from something. We are produced, formed, appointed as a new creation, free from sin and death. That means in both your life and mine, we are not chosen by God because we have something to offer. Instead, God has chosen us, and now we get to live in response to his grace. As I was preparing for this morning, I ran across a quote from, Re- from Frederick Nietzsche who said, The essential thing in heaven and on earth, that there should be a long obedience in the same direction, that thereby results and has always resulted in the long run, something which has made life worth living. We can just leave that there for a few minutes. I think Jesus' call to his disciples in Mark 3, as well as to us today, is to commit to the long obedience in the same direction. Whether you have been following Jesus for a long time or you have yet to commit to him, his call on your life is one of a long obedience in the same direction. And that can feel quite overwhelming at times because we do not know what tomorrow may bring. The road of obedience has mountaintops and valley lows. It has seasons of celebration and lament. But Jesus said that he came so that we may have life and have it to the full. God's invitation to us this morning is to continue to put one step in front of the other as we seek to be disciples of Jesus. When Jesus called and appointed his 12 disciples, he chose 12 and not one. 12 men who would share every bit of life together for three years as they got to be eyewitnesses to Jesus transforming and saving lives. And we too are called to be a part of that community. We are called to apprentice or disciple under Jesus together. We all need to just put one step in front of the other. That is the best part of running a marathon, or I've only been able to run a half marathon. A marathon sounds way too long. But when you get to the starting line, you see the people around you, (laughs) and you just take off, because everyone's running. You look at people who are of way different walks of life, and yet you're all there. You all show up, and there's only one way to get to the end. And when you look around at mile 12, or 25, 29, or 49, it's an absolute gift to look around and to look at the other people around you who are committed to the long obedience in the same direction. None of us know what the course of our lives hold or how long we will get to run, but we can choose daily to commit to the long obedience in the same direction as we seek each day to learn more and more about Jesus and to allow him to transform us from the inside out. In the weeks ahead, as we go through the Gospel of Mark, we will see how Jesus will equip those he has called. He will do so by spending time with them. He will lead them. He will teach them. He will model for them what they are to do. And then he will challenge them and send them out. Whether you're new to the church or you've been around for a while, we here at Good Shepherd are choosing to take it one step at a time too in the long obedience in the same direction as we chase after Jesus. When Jesus takes over our life, we are called to turn around, do a 180, and no longer live lives that depend on us. 
we arrive at the starting line at the tender age of you fill in the blank. But in order to keep going each and every day, we can look at scripture through stories like Abraham and David and be reminded that God chooses to use the messy. We can hear for ourselves the truth of who Jesus is as he proclaimed to be through the Gospels and seek to know Jesus truly. And we can be surrounded by those who are discipling under Jesus beside us, seeking to put one foot in front of the other. And so here is my shameless plug as your pastor of discipleship. If you have yet to know who here you could walk beside, who would inspire you to keep putting one step in front of the other, it would be our absolute honor and privilege to connect you. If you have yet to even get to the starting line and have questions about what a starting line even entails, we would be honored to talk with you. And whether you've been running at this for a while, inspire us. Because we need your stories. Just like the disciples needed one another, and even they made mistakes, and they didn't have it all together. They had each other. And we too need one another as well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you saw us and you loved us that you have drawn us to you. By your irresistible grace, would we surrender ourselves to you, that we would know you for who you truly are, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Would you equip us by your word, through your people, and by your spirit, to continue in the long obedience in the same direction. Lord, if there is anyone here that has yet to make that 180 and to chase after you, would you give them courage and strength to believe that it, you have not called the equipped, but you will equip the called. That you who are strong in mercy Call us to surrender to you and receive your grace. It is in the strong and steady name of Jesus we pray. Amen.